Welcome to Unfinished Business. This is a Hardin Valley baseball podcast where our hosts will be sitting down with leaders and athletes from across the country to talk about things they've learned and the people they've impacted along the way. Now it's time to get down to business. Here are your hosts, Tyler Roach and Drew Krasibsky. Welcome to Unfinished Business, the podcast for Hardin Valley Academy Baseball that you didn't know you wanted until we created it. Before we get started today, I'd like to give a shout out to Jackson Frazier and Solstice Band. They're a band out of Hardin Valley Academy, and they created our awesome song for our introduction. And of course, the voice of the Hawks and the play-by-play for Diamond Clear Media, John Kaufman, for his awesome play-in. I am Tyler Roach, and I'm the head baseball coach at Hardin Valley Academy, and I'm here with one of our assistant coaches and co-hosts of the podcast, Drew Korzebski. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Drew. I uh, just want to clarify that the pronunciation of my last name is Korzebski for all of those who might have any trouble pronouncing it. Um, I'm actually really excited about this podcast. Tyler and I both had a um, really fun time interviewing the people that we've interviewed so far. Um, we're really just trying to help grow ourselves and also our listeners at the same time and want our our guys to be able to listen to this and want people without outside of our program to also be able to listen to this too so we're really excited about it and um so i hope you enjoy our first episode and a disclaimer to everybody listening i've known drew for almost going on to year three and say his last name differently every time so (laughs) you may learn it eventually but i still haven't you'll get there. Um, But yeah, exactly. We were in this quarantine. um, It had a lot of people, you know, twiddling their thumbs, coming up with ideas of what to do. And one of the ideas that we had was create this podcast where our our players could learn from home from different athletes and and leaders from across the country. And um, also our coaches could too, and we could grow from that. And we've had some really cool guests already. Obviously, the one today is is Joe Madden, who uh, was a surprise to our kids. For two weeks, we were hyping it up with clues, um, different clues to try to let them guess who it was. They never figured it out. Some did, um, but most of them didn't. And so when Joe came on, it was a huge surprise to the kids. And it was a really awesome learning experience for me as a coach. Joe is somebody that I look up to big time. Um, Joe's somebody that I uh, have also taken strategy from. Uh, We've used the four-man outfield because of Joe Madden. We created our own five-man infield because of Joe Madden, which was a a bunt coverage that we used. Um, There's a lot of different things that we take away or I've taken away from Joe. So being able to talk with him about some of those things were extremely cool. Um, I really enjoyed it. What were some of the things that you liked, Drew? 
Um, he touched on a lot of things that I really enjoyed. I didn't know that he was such a big Office fan, but I'm sure that you did. Um, I thought it was cool that he um, – you can kind of see it kind of glitches um, if you're watching this on YouTube, but um, he got up to get something that was Office-related, but we all missed it because either his computer glitched or all of our computers glitched. And I thought that was funny that he's such a big Michael Scott fan that he was going to take him over Michael Jordan in a battle of the Michaels. Uh, I really enjoyed – asking him about the differences in the, in the AL and the NL after coming back to the AL from the NL, because I think the Cubs are the only team he's ever managed that was in the NL and kind of just talking the strategy that he's going to use in the AL this time that maybe he can bring from the NL from his previous years. And he was probably one of my favorite people that we've ever interviewed. And I like, uh, like his vibe that he brought to the podcast. He seemed like he was a great guy. He really enjoyed doing this. We really enjoyed him too. So that's exactly right. My dad said it best. His his he's kind of a laid back, kind of a hippie kind of guy. And it plays well when you're winning. And luckily for him throughout his career he's won. So it, yeah. it's played really well for him. Um so yeah that was really cool. Um I really enjoyed that too. I really like talking so about the office if you know me, you know that I love The Office, too. And it was something that I watched in high school all the time. And then I, I, I don't know, I stopped watching it for a ton of years and then read an interview where Joe Madden was like, oh, yeah, I love The Office. So I started watching it again and became obsessed. And that was really cool to hear him talk about The Office and how he relates to Michael Scott and, and had that office thing that we missed, unfortunately. And there are times you're going to see in this, this – we were on a Zoom call – he cuts out a few times in like two of the most like pivotal answers that he was going to give to us, but um, he comes back. So you, you may miss a bit of it. And of course I was extremely nervous. Drew was probably nervous too. It was the first guy we got to interview and it was freaking Joe Madden. So <laughs> obviously we were not going to be on our a game, but we are getting better. And um, we just wanted to learn and we got the awesome opportunity to learn from one of the, all-time best. So before we get started for that, obviously this podcast could not be possible without our uh, sponsor, Social Bullpen. They have done so many awesome things to make this podcast happen. They created a cover photo. They've done a, a ton of marketing for us. Um, and Drew, I'll let you talk a little bit about what they do and how they help people. Um, so the Social Bullpen is actually my employer. Um, we kind of telling the name that we're very baseball oriented. We like doing things that are baseball, kind of that genre. Um, we never really had a baseball client and me being a coach at Hardin Valley and then Tyler coming to me, wanting to start this podcast, it kind of gave us an intro into the, the baseball arena a little bit. Um, so we wanted to be able to help get this podcast to kind of reach the level that we think that it can get to. And so the social bullpen is kind enough to donate their time. Um, you know, my coworkers, they're much better at making graphics and social media than I am. So they're actually um, helping us out with that. And I'm actually really excited because now I get to work on baseball stuff while I'm at work too. So uh, <laughs> big, big thing to them, Betsy, Morgan and Leah and Mackenzie, you guys are awesome. And so before we get started, too, we want to tell you about some things that we've got going on in the program. Obviously, to, to 
Today is the launch of the podcast, June 1st, but it's also our tryouts for incoming freshmen. We've got that going on. We're excited about that. Some of our players, um, independently, of course, from us, has nothing to do with Hardin Valley Academy baseball, but a lot of them are playing in the league up at Smoky Stadium, so we're excited to get to watch them as fans, of course. We wouldn't want to upset anybody, especially anybody that's located in close proximity to our school. Um, so we will be there as fans and excited to watch our kids play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> play in that league. Uh, we also have our golf current, oh, good gosh, our golf tournament coming up on October 4th. Um, and that's going to be a big event. That's one of our uh, fundraisers that raises the most money for us. Um, it helps our operating budget. It's like a fourth of our, a third of our operating operating budget every year and it's really big and this year guaranteed somebody is going home with a car no matter what whether they get a hole in one or not closest to the pin is winning a car so that gives you great incentive to come and we're only going to have one flight this year and I've heard it's filling up very fast so and you're kind of the team to beat this year with uh, all the golf that we've been playing recently that is true. We're going to be very tough to beat. Um, so good luck to anybody that feels like they want to take on that challenge. Speaking of challenges, uh, Joe Madden talks a lot about them, and you're going to hear about that coming up now because now is our interview with Joe Madden. Hey, Coach. How are you? Good, man. How are you doing? We're great. So um, our players had no idea that you were going to be our guest speaker today. We kind of want to surprise, it, surprise them with it. And so we're really excited to have you. Um, and so right now, because they uh, didn't know that you were going to be our guest speaker, we had them to kind of submit some questions. And me and one of my assistant coaches are going to be reading them to you, if that's OK. Sure. So you guys are in Tennessee? Yes, sir. Knoxville, Tennessee. For How's Hard the weather? Academy. Right, right now, good? it's rainy right now. It's cold and really? rainy. Yes, sir. I'm in Long Beach, California. Uh, it's really nice. <laughs> I bet. The 80s today, got my bike right in when I'm done with you guys. Uh, it's been kind of nice. Oh, that sounds awesome. It was like 80 here yesterday, and now it's 50 degrees. That's Tennessee for you. I know that. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and when you're on that side of the country, things change rapidly. I get it. But out here, once it starts getting warm, brother, it stays warm. It's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, one of the first questions that we wanted to start out with asking you today is this quarantine, you know, it's killed a lot of what's going on and in, in the schedules and we can't get to what we're doing normally with our work routines and getting to practice and train. But we have a, a slogan in our program where we try to get 0.036 better every single day. That, that's when you come in as a freshman. If you can get .036 better every single day by the time you leave as a senior, that'd be a 50% growth increase. And so the question with that is just, you know, what are, your, what are you doing right now during the quarantine and, and what are your routines? Me personally? Yes, sir. Well, uh, I'm as busy now as I've ever been. Uh, right now, like we're, okay, to give you the whole picture, my wife and I are here in Long Beach. We have a house right over there that our friends are living in. So I'm in the RV and she's at this condo that we got over there. It's like, we're like, have this like really weird thing going on. It's been great. Um, so 
I am here waiting for the, I think if we get this going, spring training's going to be at, the, at our ballparks possibly. So what I'm doing is I'm getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning, 5.30, which is like a new habit for me. I've grown into it, and I'm really enjoying it. I get up at 6. I'm here at the RV. I go right over there, and I make my bulletproof coffee, sit here, read newspapers. The New York Post, and I got the Times now. I got the Wall Street Journal. And my hometown paper, the Hazleton Standard Speaker, and I try to catch up on what's going on. Uh, return emails and stuff I got to do, and and then I, I get beyond that. Like, and I like, like what I'm doing right now. I just had a conference call, a Zoom call with my coaching staff. Um, so all our coaches were on the on the call, and I tried to bring them up to speed. Asked if they had been speaking to some of the players, any ideas or thoughts they have. Be heads up if this happens. Give them kind of a, a heads up. And uh, that's once a week. I got you guys, and I got a head baseball coach from Washington State. Baseball right after this, Coach Green. I did Princeton baseball yesterday. I've done uh, University of Texas, um, Merrill Lynch, all kinds of stuff I've been doing. So my day's been a lot of this, because when we when this all hit, I thought it was weirdly my responsibility as a manager of the Angels to stay in touch to stay in touch, to keep baseball uh, at the forefront, uh, maintain momentum for the industry and for us, and also selfishly just to keep me in shape too. After this, I will get out, my bike's parked right outside, it's chained up over here, and I'll hit the trail and I'll go from here, about 15 miles, I'll ride and include um, exercise and stuff before I get back here and then cook dinner for me and Jay, my wife, and then, uh, I just watched the last two episodes of The Last Dance last night. So I'm very routine-oriented, very routine. When I got my routine, um, I feel like I can do anything. When you're out of your routine, um, your mind just doesn't work as clearly. It doesn't compartmentalize in the same way. So I'm in a great routine. This has been going on, I don't know, 50 days, 60 days. I mean, it's weird. Never had this kind of an opportunity before. Um, I have not been this clear mentally and I'm here to tell you guys um, you could really uh, grab a routine and, and get into it a healthy one uh, listen I, I rarely drink anymore if I do it's a glass of wine I'm eating really well I'm exercising ridden my bike nearly like 55 out of the last 60 days have been on my bike that I've never had a streak like that um, <clears throat> and like I said conversations like talking to people like yourself keeping you sharp um, you cannot do better than giving yourself a great routine to deal with on a daily basis. It's going to help you as a ball player in your schoolwork, your interaction with your friends, how clear your mind is, your thoughts. You'll research things in a way that you never believed you could before. So that's a long answer, but I'm telling you, routine is really, really important and process in regards to that. And that's a really good segue into kind of our next question. So like the game of baseball is routine and so is life. And one of the slogans that I took away uh, and tried to use in our program this year was one of the, the messages that you wrote in your thank you letter to Cubs fans when you left, which was see each day with first time eyes and feel each day with first time passion. I think that is such a powerful message. And so especially in the game of baseball, it can kind of get monotonous at times. What are tricks that you tell your players or that you use yourself to try to see each day with first-time eyes? Uh, that 
thank you. I like, I mean, that was something I came up with. It was in the painting, the Mona Lisa. I don't know if you saw my paintings. Yes, sir. Uh, and I'll send you them after this. Um, uh, absolutely correct. We take things for granted after a while. We just do. We're human beings. We do. Uh, we lose that interest. You lose that, that drive, that desire uh, to see with first-time eyes, to feel with first-time passion. I don't know how many times specifically we were talking about. I'm going to ride my bike today. I'm going to get caught up in my thoughts, listen to music. We're not worried, but thinking about things, whatever. And as I'm riding my bike, I'm this glorious coastline here, uh, Long Beach, the beach itself, up and down over to the Pacific Palisades, all this stuff. And I tell myself, don't miss it. I just stop and I said to myself, don't miss it. Because uh, we miss it all the time. And that's just the one phrase I repeat to myself, and it really brings me back, slows me down, and makes me uh, focus on what is happening right now before my eyes. What is this stuff uh, that I'm taking for granted that I hate myself when I do? So my, my phrase is, to, don't miss it. I'll say it out loud, don't miss it. And uh, man, does it pull me back. Um, I don't think it gets any more simple than that, and it, and it dovetails into what you're talking about, first-time eyes, first-time passion. Um, as these young guys get older, you can understand that a little bit better. Um, a lot of times when you're in high school, you know, we're, we're so busy with so many different things, and so many things worry us and bother us, and peer pressure, and your first girlfriend, whatever it might be, there's, there's all this stuff going on that uh, can make it a little bit confusing. Um, just know one thing if you if you stay with the right process and the right routine these answers kind of get clear they never get really uh, solved but they get a little bit clearer for you and you're able to deal with them better and uh, and if you're able to do that if you're able to understand that you'll be so far ahead of the game uh, it'll give you a clearer mind doing your work uh, the school you want to go to the way you when you get there how you attack that your first day at on campus, um, issues with your parents, your friends, um, more understanding of that, seeing both sides and not necessarily just yours. It's all there. It's all there, man. And uh, I thought I had a little bit of perspective on that as a kid growing up. Of course, just, you just got a little bit. But understand that it's there. You're able, you're able to process this, and it's going to help you. And it really comes down to making better decisions, man. You make better decisions now, uh, you will benefit so much. Um, and you'll be able to be, it'd be, it'd be great to thank the previous you from 10 years ago. Hey, thank you for making that decision. Um, make good decisions, man. It's, it's really not more complicated than that. If you make good decisions, what happens over the next several years and then the next several years after that, you're gonna be very pleased. We kind of have a saying in our program that's, everything counts is kind of personifies what you're saying right there. Every decision that you make has a reaction and, and defines who you are as a person. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's everything's interrelated. It's all interconnected. Uh, it's nothing's really separate. Uh, your relationships, um, everything you do in life is interconnected. We rely on everybody else. Um, like right now, after we get done with this, got my 76 Dodge van parked out here, right? A little bit of a miss in the engine. Bothered me. God, does it bother me. I got to find a mechanic that can fix that because I can't, right? So I'm, I'm interconnected to whoever I find today that's going to help me 
uh, fix that engine or fix that engine for me that's going to permit me to drive it down the street with the smile on my face and the music loud, which is what I'm, that's all I want, right? But I can't do that myself. Uh, everything, I mean, just uh, Rick Vaughn, uh, the guy that runs our foundation, got in touch with you, Coach, and eventually that brought us in touch today. And somebody who ever invented this Zoom platform, how ingenious is that? I mean, we're interconnected. We're, we're relying on somebody else to make our life better or easier. Sometimes we lose track of that. It's out there all, it's out there every moment of every day. That's just, that's, and right now, is it even more, can it ever be more obvious with social distancing and how much we miss so many of the normal routine things that we do every day that we're not permitted to in a sense right now? It should be, it should be amplified. You should really be smacking you in the face. How we rely on one another. So really uh, understand that, make good choices, treat people with respect, and, and whatever you put out there, think of whatever you put out there comes back to you. You put out positive vibes, and you're a good dude, you'll get that back. You put out negative vibes, and you put out literally a bunch of crap, that's what you're going to get back. No more complicated than that. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, Drew is going to ask you the next question. Uh, so my, for my first question, uh, we're really trying to build a program of excellence and just create a, a winning culture um, at our school now. Um, and obviously you took the raise to the ALCS in 2008 and then you won the World Series with the Cubs. And so we were curious as if there were any non-negotiables that you have when you're trying to build a culture with your teams. Well, you know, again, I'm, I'm dealing with guys a little bit older professional people they have chosen they've chosen our profession you guys haven't necessarily declared yet so when I get these guys with me they're telling me they want to be major league baseball players and they are and they're there to win a championship and they are so okay let's let's uh, figure out some stuff right here um, for me um, I don't know if this is a non-negotiable but the thing that is most important to me is the fact that a that we build relationships we get to know one another, B, that we start trusting each other, and then C, that we could exchange ideas, and then D, that we could accept constructive criticism from one another. When you can do those four things, now you got a professional situation that um, works. Now, the non-negotiables are that you have to build relationships in order for this to work. You have to put out trust at some point. I work it from the perspective as the manager that you got my trust. Here it is. It's yours. But I got to earn yours. And once I've earned that, now we could really, really start doing some good things. And when you get to that point, now here comes ideas. Boom, everywhere. Now, we all have ideas. And um, <clears throat> unless we arrive at these first two points, everybody wants to be right. <laughs> It's tough for some people to accept that somebody else's idea is better than mine. And so you push back, push back, push back. But if you trust one another, you pass that up, pass it up on the highway, and now you're able to um, arrive at the point whose idea is the best right here. Let's incorporate that. And then eventually constructive criticism where you need to hear it. I, I love constructive criticism. I love when somebody that's sharp and bright and is paying attention comes up to me and says, hey, did you think about it this way? Um, did you ever consider this? I love that. 
God, do I love that. Uh, I need that. I want my coaches to be that way. So I, I guess the non-negotiables are the most important one is to be open. You've got to be open and you've got to be a great teammate in order for this all to work. That's, if you're not a great teammate, don't even be here. And if you're not open and you think you know everything, you don't belong here. Um, so maybe my answer is a little bit different. I mean, I, I want my guys to run hard to first base. I want pitchers to work on their defense. Um, these are the kind of uh, physical things that I, I want. Um, I'm, I'm not really demanding because I believe if you do those things as a pitcher and a position player, the rest of your game's going to be in order. But if I got somebody that's not open and thinks he knows everybody um, and somebody that's not going to be there to interact with the whole group, why, why do it? So those to me are non-negotiable. That's awesome. And so like one of the things that we try to preach to our players too is, is leadership. Um, and we think good teams are led by coaches, but great teams and championship teams are led by their players. Um, great, great so line. what are ways that you enable your players or help motivate them or teach them to, to lead inside the locker room? Well, first of all, um, leadership is not given. You can't give it to anybody here. They got to kind of take it. It's got to be within them. Uh, they got to accept the responsibility. The, the big one is that everybody else counts more than I do. And you have to really arrive at that point. If you can't arrive at that point, you can never really be a true leader. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there's times you could show a moment, but because really to be a great leader, you got to be, you got to be at your best when everything's going bad. Because <laughs> when everything's going well, it's pretty easy to lead. Uh, when things aren't going so well, people are in disagreement. Um, you're not playing that well in a baseball sense. Um, what you think might be a little bit controversial and not everybody's agreeing with you, even though you really believe you're right. Uh, tough, tough moments. So leadership is more taken than given. Um, and I, like I said, I think it's a, it's a consistent part of you, Some something that's everybody can expect. When you walk in the door, they know what to expect. It's not like Who's showing up? Who's going to walk in that door today? What's he going to be like? Because we didn't play that good yesterday. We played great. He had a good game. I mean, all these different things uh, cannot be uh, varied. Uh, they need to see somebody consistent with a consistent message, has your back, and, and it's going to be there every day for you. So that's, that's where I see leadership, uh, to nurture it. Um, uh, Man, it's the best way. I mean, because I was a quarterback when I was 10, right? Quarterback midget football when I was 10 years old. I'm in a huddle calling plays when I'm 10. Think about it. 10, calling audibles at the line of scrimmage when I was 10. Batman and Robin, quick passes to my right and left end. Um, <clears throat> so I've always been in that position. I, I think it helped me develop a natural feel to do these things. I don't know that. Maybe it was already there before that. Uh but my responsibility was to everybody else. I didn't know everybody, everybody's assignment. I didn't know what the right guard did. I didn't know what the left halfback did. I didn't know what everybody did on, on every play so that I could help them in a, in a tight moment. So but I'm telling you, man, the best way to describe it is you've got to be there for the other guy more than yourself. You'll have plenty of time to take care of yourself, and you can do that. And when you show up, they know who to expect. Uh, they don't want to see this guy that's all over the map all the time mentally. And how do I approach him? What do I say to him? Um, how's he going to react to that 
that stuff. And, and none of you like that, neither do I. Um, so my next question is, uh, who's someone that you've kind of modeled your leadership style after? And if there's anybody kind of go in depth on, you know, why you chose them as somebody to look at and kind of view their leadership as something that you wanted to kind of model? Yeah, um, probably you've never heard of them. Um, you'd always use your dad. My dad, my dad was the calmest human being I've ever met in my life. My dad never made an excuse. Uh, my dad never missed a day of work. Uh, my dad was a plumber. <clears throat> as a kid growing up, I can't tell you I missed him one. I'm talking about 365 all summer. We never went on vacation. Uh, I don't know if I'm bragging on that because he should have, but he didn't. So I saw this work ethic uh, from my dad. Um, and it's never lost his temper with people, man. He was just, he listened well. So my dad, uh, number one, beyond that, a lot of great coaches, a lot of guys that really um, I, I took, I think I, I took a lot from. But when everybody asked me that question, this is, I got two guys. Um, coach Bob Root, who was my backfield coach at Lafayette College, my quarterback coach. I had him for three months, and this guy made an everlasting impact on me because I thought he attempted to uh, teach me, coach me through communication and not intimidation. Because, you know, you're growing up as a football player in Pennsylvania, high school kid, you're going to get a lot of guys in your face a lot of times, and that's cool. I'm good with that. Like I said, I like criticism, but I really like to be coached and taught and, um, and taught and spoken to and not yelled at and process better. Coach Root, uh, he taught me uh, how to coach through communication over intimidation because he was the guy, like, if he liked something I did on the field, oh, my God. What greater, what greater uh, uh, respect and and, and and the fact that the coach thought I did well. My God, I could carry that with me, and I still carry it with me. The other guy was Bob Clear. Bob Clear was a minor league instructor with the Angels. I'd been a big league coach. Bob Alou, man, uh, I thought I knew a lot. I was right around 1985. I was my fifth, fourth, fifth year as a coach. The Bob Alou came back from the big leagues and worked with us in the minor leagues. Everything quadrupled at that point, what I knew once I met Babalu. Why? Just a vast knowledge. And Babalu, <clears throat> if you don't want to hear the answer, don't ask the question. He was one of those guys that was blunt and was very straightforward. And again, love the criticism. We had some great arguments, <clears throat> great arguments that I cherish. But Coach Root, the communicator, Babalu, blunt. Don't do that. Don't clone your hitters. You know, he was, he was very direct. And then he made me, and I yell, I get upset. Then I stop and think about it. Baba Lou's right to this day. Um, I could go into Baba Lou's story. So those are the two guys uh, along with my pop. And then last point, <clears throat> really pay attention a lot of times, um, quite frankly, to the guys that you don't like the way they do things. Because um, you'll never want to be that way. I learned a lot from coaches. Didn't like the method, man. Uh, didn't get it. Didn't really work well with me. I don't understand. A lot of times when you get an angry coach, he's venting for himself as much as anything. Um, and I've always been um, aware of that. Now, don't take this the wrong way. Sometimes a coach has to get demonstrative and upset 
to get his point across. And you'll know the difference between that and somebody that would berate you or belittles you. That never, never. Uh, my, my tact is on a major league level, I praise publicly and I criticize privately. So somebody's got a beef with me or as a, if I have a beat with a player or somebody as, as a coach did with me as a player, I prefer you take me in the office and it'd be one-on-one. And that would be the, the right way to tell me something man-to-man. So with me, with my, my players, I praise publicly and I criticize privately. You really uh, nurture a tremendous respect for one another um, if you're able to uh, stay along those lines. And I try to live by that. That's awesome. That was actually my next question because I had heard you talk about communication, not intimidation, in, in one of the interviews that you just did um, with the Angels and Bus, and it was kind of talking about that as what are other ways that you use to motivate your players or get on to them. So you bring them into your office and you talk to them that way. That's pretty awesome. So I do. I mean, that's the only to me that's that has to happen is not to bring them in your office, but you got to communicate consistently that any kind any kind of conflict. I, I, I don't want to let that things fester and I want to get them done now because I don't want you going home thinking about something that's totally off base because you will. Uh, one of these young men, if they think the coach is upset with them, they're going to go home and think the worst. They're not going to think the best. They're going to think the worst. And I don't want people going home and not sleeping because you've read this completely wrong. So let's talk about it. That's awesome. Um, so if 2020 Joe Madden could go back to first year Joe Madden, what would you tell him? First year as a First coach? year as a head coach, yes, sir. Uh, what would I, 2020, what would I tell him? Wow. Um, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, honestly, um, I didn't become a manager until 2005. 2000, no, it was 2006 with the Rays, Devil Rays. Man, I had been, I had been prepping for that job. So everything you saw, even from this 06 Devil Rays, um, I would remind myself to um, remain humble, be grateful. Uh, I would remind myself to, you know, stick to what you believe in, um, argue respectfully. I would probably remind myself because honestly, and I don't mean I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. A lot of this stuff was thought through because I didn't just do this overnight. I started in 81 and became a manager in 2006. Was that 25 years that I had to think about things and see, uh, think about how I want to do them and how I watched, I would never do them. So I, I want to believe that I'm sure there's some things in there. I'm not, I can't think them off the top of my head, but more than anything, um, to validate or stay the course with a lot of the things that you had thought and um, don't waver from that. Um, that's a good question, but I, I really believe it's more of a, been a validating process um, as opposed to morphing into somebody different or new, because listen, I've been challenged a lot. I've been, even in the beginning with the Rays, Devil Rays, we lost a lot. They didn't like the way I did things. Um, they thought I was too loose. Uh, you know, a little bit off the wall, just out of the box. And at that time, that was really not popular. But I didn't, I didn't waver. I kept doing it. And now a lot of the stuff that I did then, everybody else wants to do now. So it's been validated. Um, 
And what I did back then was the residue of thinking things through from, like I said, what I had been doing the last, even as before that as a player, 1976 to 1980 kind of, um, I'm always observing, man, always observing. I think I'm a good listener. So the stuff you've seen me do from then to now, I'd say I'm, I'm very humbled by it. I am sincerely. When I'm asked to look back, it's pretty cool, a lot of the stuff that we've done. Um, and I'm grateful. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful. That's fantastic. Uh, I, was, I was curious if there are any things that you learned in the National League from the past five years that you'll bring to the American League that you didn't before? Uh, I just know that the National League is a better game. I know <laughs> that the National League is way more interesting. I wish that they would put the pitcher hitting in the American League and not the DH in the National League. Um, what I've learned, I mean, um, you know, the double switching kind of stuff, it's a little bit more difficult in the American League as a DH being in the game and what you have to do. And we, I'm not afraid to put the DH in the game and put the pitcher in the spot where the guy's coming out of the game because then you start playing National League rules. Um, I'm cool with that. I used to do that with the Rays a little bit. The part that's going to be interesting to me, and I got to get uh, full cooperation from the organization, is when Otani pitches to go National League, even though you're playing an American League game. So let him hit. I mean, why would you not let him hit uh, possibly? Uh, you know, he's healthy, he's well, he's gone through everything. You want that bat in the lineup. So at what point or when can we be able to be comfortably be able to permit Shohei to hit uh, an American League lineup as the pitcher and forfeit the DH for that game? I have no issue with that. I after, I think after having worked nationally for so long, you don't concern yourself about stuff like that. Think of your American leaguer and always play with the DH only. You always have these reservations. Uh, you could pinch hit later in the game. There's, and, and now if they make these rules where you can't go into extraordinary extra innings, you know the game's going to be finite, 10th through 11th inning, you know you're not going to run out of bench guys regards to pinch hitting. So go ahead. So – that's going to be fascinating to me if I'm able to do that. But otherwise, you know, you're, you know, the, th the different things we, we created different bunt plays on defense and the nationally being Anthony Rizzo, Anthony's outstanding. And when Javi's out there on the, when you have Javi at third and Rizzo at first, and I'm not denigrating KB right now, but those two guys on the corners, there's so much stuff you can do with your bunt defenses that is fascinating because these guys are that good. Uh, you know, the, 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 the shifts, the four-man outfield on occasion, all this stuff's in play. The big difference is the, the one different rule I'd like to incorporate is when Otani's pitching to let him hit. I want him to get the, the free reign to do that. I was wondering if there's any way you're going to be able to work around having a pitcher in left field and alternating, you nope. know, the Travis Wood in left field. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to, to, to do that, UK, you would take, the DH would have to um, go into the game, put the DH in the game, and whoever you're taking out, put the pitcher in that spot. So let's just say the DH goes in the game and he's a left fielder. You put him in left field. And then the pitcher comes in and he's in for that. Wherever that left fielder was hitting, he goes in that hitting spot. But now he's pitching, right? So he pitches, and all of a sudden you want to – whoever you're putting in that DH is going to left field, all of a sudden he can pitch too. You put him on the mound, and that pitcher goes in the left field. I'm able to bring him back in one more time and pitch that he's got to come out I can, or he stays in the pitch, but I can't take him back and forth one more time. 
So there's actually limitations. I didn't even know that the first time I did it. I was just going to keep doing it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there was, no, you can only do it one more time. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit more confusing. But once you put the uh, DH in the game, then you're playing with nine guys. You're back to nine guys. The pitcher, think about it. The pitcher, the DH goes in the game. So if I'm going to take the left fielder out of the game, that pitcher coming in hits in that spot where the left fielder had been. And the DH stays in the same spot that he had been hitting in. So now you got these nine guys to play with. You can do whatever you want once you pop the DH in the game. Okay. Um, so you talked about being open a little bit ago and talking about constructive criticism and things like that. You won the World Series in 2016. You one of the five winningest managers in Cubs history and all the time, just in the position that you are as a leader, you're constantly being criticized. It just comes with the, um, the position. So what are ways that you handle criticism when you get it? And so what are ways our players can handle it too when we give it to them as a coaching staff? Um, well, first of all, try not to get upset because that's never going to work well. I mean, you respond to criticism. Like I just said, I love constructive criticism. If you react to that with anger, nothing good's going to come out of that. Nothing. Zero. Zero. Uh, sometimes you have to take a deep breath and, and really try to process what's being said right here. Um, I'm talking, okay, as a manager right now, as a player, it's even more important. Take that deep breath. Slow things down. Listen. Because one of the worst things we start doing is we start trying to uh, create our response as we're hearing the criticism. Let it come in. Hear what they got to say. Slow it down. Listen. Take it all in. And then slowly come back with your response. For me, I try to avoid, um, uh, shall I say this, um, whenever I try to uh, answer criticism, sometimes it just comes across as I'm making an excuse there are time, there's a difference between giving a reason and making an excuse, and I think we all recognize that. Uh, I wanted to always nurture a real upfront and honest relationship with the writers there, and I think I did. So when it got to being constructively criticized or just criticized, um, I would try to slow it down internally and give the answers directly, straight up, what my thought process was. So don't make anything up. Don't ever do that. Just give, just let it go. The, the more you get the truth out there, the quicker it goes away. If you want to create or weave tales, man, it's going to linger for a long time. So I learned that a long time too. So um, react to it um, when it's necessary. There's times when, that, when I don't have to respond to it because I don't agree with it. But if I, I'm always concerned if I give an answer, sometimes it's going to, it's going to appear to be an excuse. And I, I don't want to be an excuse maker. So I try to pick my spots um, in regards to how I respond to it. But when I do respond to it, be straight up about it. Don't make stuff up. Tell them exactly what you're thinking about in the moment, and it will go away. And if you guys are sitting there right now, just think about it when the coach uh, talks to you guys about anything. Listen, and then take your time and give them a straight up response. And if you did screw up, my favorite player is an accountable player. I mean. You're not going to get you're not going to get better at what you do unless you're able to accept constructive criticism and be accountable for your mistakes. That's how you get better. If you're going to constantly weave it in another direction and blame somebody else, 
You're only going to get so good, guys. It's You're never going to get to that level that you want to achieve. You're not. You're not. You're going to get it in your own way. So I hope that explains it. But I, I really, I, I, I kind of like being second-guessed in these meetings or these press conferences. I kind of enjoy the exchange uh, because I, I do have good reasons why I do everything. I just don't do things just for the sake of doing it. But one of the last things I kind of want to talk to you about is the letter that you wrote to the Cubs fans. The, the yeah. Thank you. There's so many life lessons that you got inside of this. And one of the first things that we talked about this year was embracing the target too. Last year, we were lucky enough to win regional championship um, in our district. So we had a target on our back. And you also talk about never letting the pressure exceed the pleasure. So to me, breaking that down is just competing and having fun. And so my question is, what are ways that you train your players to compete? Because I think it's a lost art and just let them have fun in the game. Yeah, well, part of competing is to not be um, to not be overburdened with information before the game either. I mean, I we have you know our analytics department. We get stuff out to the guys, and they read their information. They do their practice, everything you need to do. But the thing I ask them: listen, when that bell rings, boys, if there's one or two nuggets you want to hold on to, fine. I'll hold on to the rest of them. I want you to go out there and compete and beat the other team. Whatever it says on that uniform, you know, whether it says uh, it, with, the, with the Cubbies, it was the Cardinals or the Brewers, whatever, you want to beat the dude in that uniform. And you, and you compete mentally. You compete with your mind to beat this particular guy. You're not going to permit him to get the upper hand on you. It's, com it's competing. KB, that's Chris Bryant. There were so many times KB and he'd be in the hole before he went on deck. He'd be standing next to me and I'd say, brother, just do me, just do me a favor. Go out there and enjoy the game that you've always wanted to play, and purely just compete against that pitcher. All I want you to do, do is go out there and beat the pitcher. That's it. And if you could just keep reducing, reducing, reducing to the small. To get ready per pitch, pitching wise, you're, you're getting you throw the pitch, you get the ball back to the catcher. And you're getting your mind focused for the next pitch. It's always about that particular moment. You can only compete in the moment. Anxiety lives in the future. If you're constantly worried about what may happen, you're probably worrying about normally negative stuff. Unless you're one of those guys and it happens, you're always projecting something good. You're always projecting something good. Uh, and I think that happens a lot. We're in a good mo I'm in a good moment. Things are feeling well. I'm seeing the ball big. The glove looks huge as a, as a pitcher. Um, it's easy to project positive in the future, but it doesn't happen all the time. Stay in the moment. Once the moment uh, is done, move on to the next one. Treat them all individually, and when you do that, then you can compete in that moment. Right now, that's all that matters is you know being right here, right now. That's all that matters. And when you're there, you're going to find the best version of yourself. And if you could, if you can't teach yourself to do that, it becomes an Increasingly more difficult, especially if coaches talking about when you're playing against better competition and when the pressure does exceed the pleasure. Not good. Um, last point for me, if, if wherever you're at, as you grow up, if you hear people throw the word, well, there's a lot of pressure involved, where the expectations are really high here, I'm telling you one thing, you're in the right spot. That's where you want to be. You totally want to be right there. 
how about think about this? Well, you don't have great expectations. You come play for us. We don't have a lot of expectations. And with that, we rarely play with a lot of pressure surrounding us. Why would you ever want to be involved in that situation? That is zero fun. There's no care at the end. So whenever you hear the word pressure and expectation, run toward it. That's uh, the culmination, the dreams of all the work that you've put into that point, where you, where those two words connect, converge, uh, expectations and pleasure. You want to live there, man. That's the most fun there is. That kind of leads into to my next question, and I was wondering if you encourage any kind of like mental training. I know the Alan Jagger guy; he does that, um, and my college coach even talked about visualization and how that would help you, you know, succeed in the present moment also. All about it, man. All about it. When you see those paintings, um, Coach, make sure I get your um, email address. I'll send it to you, uh, Google Drive, with all the nine paintings. One is Ken Revisit. You never hear the name Ken Revisa? Heads up baseball. Just read the book, 2.0. There you go. I was just going to suggest that. Um, Kenny and I were really good friends. I mean, real tight. He lived right up. Right over there in Redondo Beach, he passed away two years ago. He would be an angel right now with us, and he'd still be alive. Kenny was the best. Him and the Harvey Dorfman, I had I knew Harvey well. Uh, Carl Keel, these are the kind of guys that I grew up with, um, uh, understanding this information and stuff I was just rapping on right now. A lot of it comes from these guys. Um, totally into it. Uh, it's a skill. It's no different than uh, good technique building a ground ball, how to set up in the batter's box, your delivery, it's a skill. Uh, and understand that uh, to learn to use the breath as your anchor and live in the moment will help you exponentially on the baseball field. There's so many pauses in our game. Uh, when you play football, it's a little bit different, and I've done both. I mean, football, once you get hit, that first hit, my God, I mean, you just, you're like so – you have no time to think about everything else. Baseball permits all this time to think negative crap. Um, so how do I control that? This stuff is really, really good for that. I highly recommend it. You get any, you got the book. If you get any um, tapes, audio tapes, um, it would be very helpful also, or even video with these guys. But I would go right to Heads Up Baseball with my boy Kenny. And uh, yes, the age you guys are at right now, if you could learn to understand that and incorporate it, by the time you guys start moving it on up uh, collegiately and beyond, way ahead of the game, way ahead of the game. Um, I mean, all the guys that I work with, all my players, um, and I just had Kenny with the Cubs before he passed away. He had a big impact on that group. And so we're going to try to implement breathing techniques going into this next season. And so I'd like you to go ahead and tell them so they can hear it before they, they push it off to the side, how important breathing techniques are. Okay. Well, what do I do in the morning when I wake up for 15 to 20 minutes? I meditate. And all that is is deep breathing exercise. Not all of that is, but it's a big part of it. Um, you're standing on the mound at Wrigley Field right now, right? You just came out of the bullpen. This one is on first and second, two outs. It's the uh, bottom of the eighth inning, and the middle of the batting order is up, and you got to control your emotions. Am I just going to do I just sashay out there, have everything under control, 40,000 people in your face? Or 
is there something I like to be able to do? It's like this comforting thing that I know that I can do that gets me, lowers my heart rate, permits my hand to stop shaking a little bit, and then permits you to go through my delivery on time and deliver the ball where I want to without even thinking about it. Not a bad, not a bad skill set to have, right? So the breath, think about this. The breath is the anchor. The breath shall be your anchor. And um, <laughs> it's no lie, boys. Uh, uh, guys going up to the plate, grabbing the bat. I had guys, I had uh, J.T. Snow, Todd Green, up to the bat. I wanted them to look at the label on the bat, right on the label, and look at that, take their breath, and exhale into the label to think about staying in the middle of the field. Guys that were too tight, what is, loosen up, relax. How do you do that? So the, the trick with that is I wanted them to walk up to the plate. I got this from Kenny. Walk up to the plate and squeeze the bat as tightly as you possibly can as you're walking from the on-deck circle to the plate. When you get up there, look at your third base coach. Keep that bat squeezed. Take your breath. The moment you tap the bat, the head of the bat on the plate, that's when you let go and relax. Now you know what relaxed is. You don't know what relaxed is unless you know what tight is. So these are the things, boys. I'm, I know it sounds too simple, right? We all want complicated answers to questions. I like simple answers because I'll tell you what, when it gets hot, meaning that the game gets crazy and fast and late and it matters, those of you that can slow it down better, you're going to compete better. You're, you have a much better chance to be successful. Those of you that you start getting in that hamster wheel because you have no, you have no uh, skill set, you know, no go-to to slow this thing down, you're not going to be nearly as successful, period. Convoluted complicates. Do simple better. Yes, sir. Right. So uh, on that, too, one of the things that you talk about is respecting 90. It's your foundation. It's um, one of your things. But we, one of our things that we're huge on in our program is not just baseball skills, but teaching our players to be better men. And so we think if you teach the players to be better men, all the stuff on the field will take care of itself. How can the respect 90 that you talk about uh, denies complacency and spurs growth, how can they apply that into their life outside of the game of baseball? Uh, it's really good stuff, man. Um, of course. I mean, <laughs> they reflect one another. I mean, our game reflects life. This, this particular game is so directly interrelated and connected with actual life um just just respect i mean that's why i wanted that word involved in there just the word respect in you and when you do that when you respect um you're getting back to what i said you're going to make better choices you're going to make better decisions you're going to um Listen, you have to take care of yourself. Don't get me wrong. You have to you have to fulfill a lot of your own self-needs. Absolutely. But once you've arrived at that point when you're pretty satisfied with that, now you have all this energy to give. It's all out. It's, you've got the stuff you want to give because I promise you, unless you give, none of it's any fun. None of what you do is going to matter. Unless we can give uh, from what we've gained or get what we've gained or earned unless you could give away get that away man it's no fun it's just no fun uh life's no fun 
uh, it's about it's about learning, it's about achieving, it's about uh, whatever this is that's driving you. Yes, and then you're driven, and all of a sudden the acquisition comes. And once that acquisition comes, there's nothing more fun than to give it away. <laughs> it's it's weird how we are. Uh, that that and you know, guys, there's there's people out there that just want to hoard it. If you know anybody like that, could you actually tell me if they're sincerely happy or not? I I would. I challenge you on that because I think if you know people like that, they're miserable because all they want to do is figure out ways to keep what they got. Give it away, man. Give it away. You're going to get plenty more. There is, there is a, there is a law of abundance out there. Once, uh, once you learn that concept, uh, even gosh, there's even more stuff flying your way, uh, because of how you're interacting, whatever you put out there comes back to you. So respect 90, respect that distance home the first, just think about respect 90 at home and, and how that pertains to your inter interaction with your parents, your teachers. Um, you respect, respect the distance uh, between the two of you. Um, my goodness, everything else is going to flourish. It just flourishes. And in the game, my respect 90 home the first. My point is, if you respect that distance, it'll permeate the rest of your game. So respect that, that distance between you and, your, and your, everybody that's in your life. Um, it is going to permeate the rest of your game or your, or your relationship with that person. And say one more time, the more you can give, uh, earn, great. But until you learn to give it all away, you're not going to totally enjoy any of it. We just have a couple more in a speed round, if that's okay. And sure. I got a couple. I got the thing in a couple of minutes, so. We just do a couple more, Coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I got then we'll just we'll skip to to Here, this. Go ahead. The one. Um, so one of our big things is two strike hitting, and I heard you talk about back in the day um, they had a lot more compact swings direct to the baseball, and strikeouts are really big in the game today. So what is your philosophy and your teachings on two strike hitting? Well, I call it my B hack. The B hack is Ray hack is the one that you're just up there letting it eat a little bit. Uh, B hack could be when you're facing a real tough pitcher from the first pitch, you're definitely with two strikes. Um, what baseline to work from? Choke up, choke up, look away first. It's harder to protect away than in. And think fastball first, because I promise you this if there's any catcher sitting in there right now. When you're catching and you got to run around second, you roll the signs. If you put down what you think is a fastball and your pitcher saw it differently, throws you a curve, a slide, or a changeup, as a catcher, you could react to it. You could do some things to, to handle that pitch. But if you're sitting back there and you put down soft, curveball, changeup, slide, or whatever, and this dude doesn't see that right and he throws you a fastball, it's a bad feeling because you're sitting back there, your mind's thinking softly, and all of a sudden this ball's coming and it's not making that break. Uh, that's when you miss, pass ball while pitch, or umpires get hit, or even sometimes you. So the point is, if it's that hard to catch, why would you think it'd be any easier to hit? So I always like to keep the fastball hack loaded. And uh, looking away, like I said, because it's easier to protect in than away. And choking up, by choking up, you get your top hand a click closer to contact, which shortens the arc, gives you better command of the head of the bat. 
thus a better chance for the ball to be moved. So be happy. Uh, ask David Ross what he thinks about it. David Ross is last year. I had a big thing about that in spring training. David took to it. David had 10 home runs his last year with the Cubs, all with two strikes, including the one in the World Series against uh, Andrew Miller, dead center. Choked up, two strikes, incorporating those thoughts. That's, I'm not trying to say genius. I just, I've been doing this since 1988 or 89 when I was in instructional league. As a hitting coach, Bob Kennedy was running the Giants minor league system. Mr. Kennedy had been in World War II as a pilot, and he was very good friends with Ted Williams. And Mr. Kennedy was back and sitting next to me, and he talking to me about he was on a mission uh, to cut down the number of strikeouts in the San Francisco Giant minor league system, which I'd really not um, focused on to that point. So once he told me that, I went back that home that night, and I thought, okay, uh, how are we going to work with this? Because my concept of, of, of two-strike approach, you can just spread out. Spread out's not a bad way to go, just spreading out, getting a little bit closer, whatever. Uh, but I developed this, this plan. If you see any of my old guys, Ruben Amaro, uh, Paulie Serrano's on my staff, Lee Stevens, uh, Fish, Timmy Salmon, all these dudes, ask them about the BHAP, and they'll give it to you straight up. Sounds good. Uh, that sounds like something that we can take and use in our program too. Um, and so this last this last round is a speed round. You can just answer with one one sentence or one word or whatever you want to do. Um, so if you you could pick one thing that you like your players that you coach would learn and then take away and learn from you, what would it be? Um, consistency. Do you have a favorite player that you ever coached? I know it's tough. <laughs> well, it is tough. I mean, I've had so many. I'd say the one guy that um, personifies what every coach manager would want, that's Darren Erstad. That's cool. Uh, I know you're a big Office fan, and you just said you watched The Last Dance. Michael Scott or Michael Jordan? Hold on one second. It's, it's posted on my wall. Michael Scott, of course. <laughs> um, if you could compete on any game show, what would you choose? Woof. Um, any game show. I'd like to believe Jeopardy, but I don't. I don't. What is Jeopardy? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm if you could manage cool. any team in history, which would you choose? Whoa. Um, any team in history, I would love, um, I'm going to go back. I grew up a Cardinal fan, um, the gas house game of the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I was in the what early thirties, early to mid thirties. You realize I actually gotten to know people that played with Babe Ruth. Um, Jimmy Reese was a good friend. He was a coach with the angel organization. Um, Carl Hubble, Mr. Hubble. Carl Hubble, check that name out. He struck out six consecutive hitters in the 1933 All-Star Game, which was the first one ever in Chicago. I think that's accurate. I sat next to Mr. Hubble scouting games several years ago here in, over in Arizona. Um, my connection, I mean, Zim, I mean, Don Zimmer and what he, how he was connected. Uh, some of the scouts I grew up, I've had this 
really, it's like a hundred year connection. It's crazy how this, this all occurs. Um, uh, but I'm so lucky and fortunate to have uh, been able to, to interact with these people. Uh, which character in the office do you relate to the most? Michael Scott. <laughs> uh, have you seen Tiger King? And if so, did Carol Baskin kill her husband and feed him to the tigers? I did not. I've, not, I've, I've kind of been holding back. I've been holding back. Um, I've been watching The Last Dance, and I know this happened even more recently, but I'm telling you, man, I got – I'm in my RV right now, right, in the DVR set. I got The Office and Seinfeld. I'm on the Seinfeld a lot. And in that little cabinet right there, I got every season of The Office so I don't beat up my Wi-Fi. So <laughs> when it gets low, I, um, I'll just pull one of those bad boys out. And that's, that's what I do. I, I, the new stuff, um, I've stopped binge watching. I, I'm not so much into binge watching. I, I, I need to start reading again. That's what y'all need to do is read books read books that's what you need to do i was the best reader you've ever met in your life um and i've not been as good lately right now i'm trying to get through uh, uh john steinbeck's travels with charlie but i i could go over lists of books for you that i could recommend read books guys read books stop watching video read books uh, we're big on team bonding. You're huge on team bonding. I got the idea from you. Well, what's an, so there's only so many team dinners and movies you can do. Any suggestions for our next team bonding? Oh, uh, that's right. You guys have to stay in one spot. Um, yeah, I mean, have you just um, picked like a, a dress? Have you done a dress theme at all? Like dress up a certain way? And uh, we did a Halloween game, but that's it. I mean, I was going to take it to another level, like uh, whatever that is then you get like um, either somebody's big backyard or maybe like a, a, a building somewhere and, and build build it all the way out to replicate what you're trying to um, accomplish that night. Um, that'd be kind of interesting, I think, because I'm, I'm just taking it to the next, like I'm thinking about us, like the, you know, Jimi Hendrix road trip to Seattle, everybody's all duded up, dressed out, you get there, uh, the, the different, um, when we have the rookies dress up, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> um, I don't know. Here's, here's my best advice. Um, let your imagination run free, guys. Don't hold back. But let, permit your imagination to be exactly what it is and, uh, and see where that takes you because uh, you'll be surprised what you could, what you could put together. Final one. Um, I know you like to wear uh, T-shirts of charity events or charity organizations and things like that. This year, our slogan is unfinished business, and we got it right Love there. It. Our season got canceled, and so next year, yeah. we'll a good chance to come out. Unfinished business. We got some stuff we got to take I care of. I love it. Can we send That's you awesome. one? Uh, yes. Would you get in touch with Rick Vaughn? And yes, sir. I would love to have I'm, I'm a large. Okay. Yes, sir. We'll take care of I it. I love that. You love that. Seriously, that's very cool. Very, I love the font, too. Oh, Good thank font. you. Drew did that. He's great. Very nice. very nice. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You're somebody that I really look up to. A lot of our kids really look up to, and so it means the world to have you on, and we really appreciate it. I yes. listen. I appreciate these. This is great for me, too. You have to understand that. I mean that sincerely. Um, you keep my mind sharp. You challenge me, and I love that. 
wish you nothing but the best. Stay healthy. Keep following the rules. We're going to come out the other side, and it's going to be bigger and better than ever when we figure this all out. So uh, best to your families. Said, so Stay well. Hope to see you guys down the road. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Good luck this season. Thank you. Be Thank well, you. Guys. Take care, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. That was awesome. That was our conversation with Angels manager and 2016 World Series champion, Joe Madden. Um, I really, really enjoyed that uh, conversation, and I, I know our players did as well. Uh, one last thing that we want to talk about that's coming up um, this summer on July 4th and 5th, there is a college charity um, kind of showcase event going on at Smoky Stadium with Pro Hitting Baseball putting it on. Uh, there are two teams. One team will be uh, playing for first responders, and the other team will be playing for uh, different youth baseball charities uh, from around this uh, community. And um, there will be college players from across the country and locally playing in this game. There's somebody from Indiana flying in who's projected as the 46th overall pick in the draft. Um, we've got players from Vanderbilt, Tennessee, all across the nation coming in to play for this game, and it's going to be awesome. One day they're going to have a home run derby. Um, but the ultimate goal is to raise money for charity. Right now we've uh, already had uh, $40,000 uh, committed for donations. So our goal is to get close to $100,000 to raise for these charities. And it will be an awesome event. It'll be able to get uh, baseball back in our area. And it should be a lot of fun. Pro Hitting Baseball is putting it on. Guillermo Martinez, who's the hitting coach for the Toronto Blue Jays. And so it should be a lot of fun. Me and Drew get to coach one of the teams. And uh, we are extremely looking forward to it. Um, yeah. And so our next, uh, our next podcast will be July 1st. It will be with our mayor and WWE superstar. Kane, also known as Glenn Jacobs, and we got to sit down with him recently, and we're excited to get to show you guys that. So if you like this, make sure you tune in uh, on July 1st, uh, subscribe to this, follow our channel, make sure you're following our social media, and check in on our website as well. A lot of great things are happening in our program, and we're excited to share it with all of you guys. Go Hawks!